Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Hello, welcome to the Ghost of Harrenhal. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 63 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 62 of Game of Thrones, that's Tyrion 8. As always, we're going to chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully, we're going to provide you with some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what's happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the TV show, indulge in a little pedantry and cover some reader mail. Be sure to check out the show notes, they'll provide you with some additional information about the characters and other things of note in this chapter. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. How about you? Never better. Well, I mean, you know, I've had more interesting times of my life than being trapped at home, but (laughs) the most interesting thing that happened to me is my neighbor's internet got cut. Somebody was aerating their lawn and cut through his internet cable. Oh my goodness. And uh, so he came over and sat on my screen porch using my internet. (laughs) To work. To work. So we were socially distanced (laughs) because he wasn't coming in the house. uh, That's funny. I had a weird thing happen to me the, this past weekend. Uh, it didn't happen to me. I just I, I witnessed it. I was uh, driving along with my mother-in-law, and we were on a um, a highway, like a four-lane highway, two on each side, you know. But it, it was 55 miles an hour at that point, not 70. And that, that comes into play here in one second. There's a car about 30 yards in front of me on the left. I'm in the right lane. It's in the left lane. And all of a sudden, there is a dog on the road. And the dog does a somersault on the road and then starts chasing after this the car that's like 30 yards in front of me. And so the car in front of me slams on their brakes. The car in my lane in front of me slams on their brakes. I slam on my brakes. The car um, in that lane slams on its brakes so we could kind of like prevent anybody from getting past us to protect this dog. And the the car where the dog all of a sudden appeared next to goes like flying into the grassy median between the the lanes of highway. And the dog is chasing after the car and it wheels to left around to the driver's side and, and then kind of disappears. And so then we start driving again because we're holding up traffic. And um, I, I was like, where did this dog come from? I thought the dog had run like, underneath like underneath the car and the wind of the like had rolled it yeah yeah, had rolled it because it did like a somersault on the ground and then took out took off after the car but the more that my mother-in-law and i were thinking about it the dog had to have jumped out of the window of of the car car. which is why it screeched to a halt and why the dog chased it Yes. Because the dog was trying to get back in the car. Right back in the car. It looked like a Jack Russell Terrier type dog. And, you know, those things have have incredible leaping skills. So it must have just been jumping around and just jumped right out of the window at like 55 miles an hour. God. And and basically it was okay. 
It seemed to be. It was running after the car. It wasn't like limping as best I. Now it might have had some scrapes and bruises that, I'm that sure we couldn't it did. see from our distance. But unless it was wearing its leathers, yeah. You'd <laughs> uh, yeah, we were like, like for the next twenty minutes, all we could do was like, how did that really? Did that just happen? That is extraordinary. I, I remember seeing footage of a uh, a race car race in England, and it was. It was kind of like more like NASCAR cars than um, yeah. than Formula One cars, but this um, this car was coming careering through like a like a double bend, an S bend kind of thing, and a rabbit decided to run across the road at that point, and Uh-oh. the car actually hit the rabbit, and all it did was turn the rabbit around, and the rabbit just ran back, <laughs> but it hit. A car doing like two hundred miles an hour. It's like how in the heck? But it just—I cl- mean, just clipped it and just turned it around, and it just ran back as if. Real I'll try again another time. <laughs> yeah, bad timing. Bad timing. That's on, that's on me. So, well, if you got more, you got more, but it's a long one. So yeah, let's get down to it. Last time we saw Tyrion, he, Bronn, and the mounting clans that they'd been travelling with discovered Tyrion's father, Tywin, and his army camped at the inn at the crossroads. Tyrion and co. rode out to meet the army. Tyrion's reunion with his, un- with his father was less than tearful, though his uncle Kevin did seem happy to see him. Father and uncle caught him up on the news. King Robert's demise, Joffrey on the throne, Ned in a dungeon, Rob Stark's army marching south to meet them. And despite Kevin's proposal that they stay at the crossroads where they're dug in and have easy access to the river crossing, Tywin decides to march north to meet the army, showing his impatience. Tyrion and his clansmen are set to join the fray. Uh, Why don't we give them the summary of this chapter? All right. Tyrion arrives at dinner with his father, Tywin, and many other lords. He and Tywin immediately start in on each other. And then Kevin Lannister chimes in and mentions that he and Tywin had thought to put Tyrion and his clansmen in the vanguard of the host during the battle. Tyrion knows who really hatched that plan, and he wonders if his father has decided to finally get rid of him. After some back and forth, Tyrion says he'll lead the vanguard if that's his only option. And Tywin says he didn't say anything about leading it. He'll be under the leadership of Gregor Clegane, a.k.a. the Mountain. At this, Tyrion's had enough. He leaves the table of the lords and wanders through the camp. He ends up back at his tent, where Bronn has procured Tyrion the company of a lady. Tyrion approves of Bronn's selection. The woman's name is Shay. She's pretty and around 18. Tyrion tells her that whether he keeps her for a day or a year, she's not to take any other man into her bed during that time. With the rule set, they uh, get down to business. <laughs> Later that night, Tyrion stumbles out of his tent and finds Bronn still awake. Tyrion tells him of their position in the vanguard. Bronn says he'd have done the same. Small man, big shield, drive the archers crazy. Tyrion returns to bed but wakes to the sound of horns. The Stark army is upon them. After his new squire, Podrick Payne, and Shay wedge him into his pieced-together, poorly-fitting armor, he rides off to battle. Sir Gregor assigns Tyrion and his clansmen to hold the far left flank, the left of the left, bordering the Green Fork River. As Tyrion looks around, he notices that along with him and his clansmen, the vanguard is made up of untrained and poorly equipped young men, led by an unthinking and unstable lunatic, Sir Gregor. He's perplexed (laughs) as to how his father expects this ragtag group to hold this left flank. However, before he can give it too much thought, the fighting begins. Tyrion is plunged into the chaos of battle. He fends off several attacks and takes some Northmen out in the process. 
Eventually, his elbow is badly injured, and he's knocked from his horse by a knight with a morning star. The knight, looming overhead, asks him to yield. Instead, Tyrion stands and drives the spike on the top of his helmet into the knight's horse. The fallen horse pins the knight under it, and the helpless knight yields instead to Tyrion. The battle now having carried past him as the western army drives the northern back, Tyrion finds Bronn and the pair go looking for their clansmen. Only half survived the battle. He then finds his father and uncle. Tywin tells Tyrion that he indeed expected the vanguard to fail, and that a young and inexperienced leader like Robb Stark would likely have pushed his forces through it, in which case they'd have him surrounded. But the clansmen held and ruined the plans. Regardless, a victory is a victory. However, it's at this moment Tywin learns that Rob wasn't leading the host. He crossed the river at the Twins and is heading for Riverrun. Tyrion would have laughed if not for being in quite so much pain. Ooh, he got one over on yes. Tywin. <laughs> yes, yes. We At various points in this discussion, we will discuss who got one over whom. Right, yeah. Because I'm not 100% uh, sure. Now, you might not be able to tell from the summary, but this is a very long chapter. I uh, yeah, I mean this I mean I mean we're lazy. You, know, <laughs> you can't be asking us to read 20 page chapters. That's a lot, you know. We we, yeah. we have to read this carefully several times, you know, to pick out right. all the nuggets of The audiobook yeah. version of this chapter is 51 minutes. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's I, that's one, that's 1.5 speed for me right there. <laughs> I only got through it maybe three times because it took like three settings a piece just to make it through the chapter one time. It's it's funny actually because because I mean one of the things I notice about the book is that it is quite tightly edited. You know that the, the you know each pack each chapter packs a punch. I mean you could argue that the whole Jon Snow thing at the wall is a little bit slow moving, but you know right. the, it's it's a strand of the story that has to be maintained, and so you know. It gets it gets its playtime, like but Bran, this, and Bran too. Yeah, this chapter for me is one that could have stood to quite a bit of editing down. There's a lot of redundancy yeah. in this chapter. Yeah, and, especially once the fight the fighting starts. It's a right, lot of Tyrion chasing people down and hitting them with his axe. Right, <laughs> which which is hard for us to discuss, really, because it's like if you like that kind of thing, it's good, it's nice, it's fun. <laughs> right. But you know, it. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, for me, battle scenes are always a little bit, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm kind of like, I want to get through this, you know. Yeah, I, but, yeah. but but weirdly, I always think of Helm's Deep as being my absolute favorite chapter of uh, Lord of the Rings. Right. So I, I like a battle in certain circumstances. The thing about Helm's Deep is it seemed to have like a, a point, And that's one of the problems I have with this chapter. It just seems this battle is so pointless. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's just, it's just two armies throwing themselves at each other and then backing off from one another. And it's like, why'd you do it? Why'd you even yeah. do it? We'll definitely get into um, yeah. why Roose Bolton would throw his significantly uh, outnumbered army at the uh, Lannister forces as he did. Yeah. But uh, I guess we'll start at the top. Yeah. One, one thing I wanted to clear up real quick because it. It confused me the first time I read it is at dinner, Tyrion thinks about the 300 men that Ulf fetched out of the foothills. And he means the guys that were left behind when he and the clan chiefs 
went to go meet with Tyrion. He's not referring to the additional clansmen that Gunthor is supposedly rounding up still back in the Mountains of the Moon. You know what's funny? That that little uh, interlude there that you've just given is extremely useful for about one person in the world, and that's me. Because <laughs> I too was confused by that, and it's only now that you've said it, it's dawned on me what it all meant. Yeah. But we never mentioned it in the summary, so people listening along will be like, what are you talking about? But yeah, they talk about the 300 men that were left, that, that were rounded up. But right. that sounded like they meant... Additional the, men. The people that Gunther was bringing back. Yes. And and I think we were expecting 3,000, weren't we, from Gunther? At some point I thought we'd heard that. I think there was a number given in the last Tyrion chapter, but I can't remember it off the top yeah. of my head. But yeah, so, well, but, I was confused yeah. because... I knew that Gunther was supposedly rounding up men, and here he says that Ulf fetched out of the foothills, and I was like, what's Ulf doing fetching? It was supposed to be Gunther. And then I realized, oh, he's talking about the men that were left when just the chiefs came down to meet with Tywin. Gotcha. So as as usual when they're in the same room, Tyrion and Tywin (laughs) take shots at one another. Um, Tyrion relates the story about how um, Tywin sort of mocks the the clansmen, and Tyrion says how savage they are, that they've been fighting amongst themselves, and like right. he, he lists off a bunch of horrible things they've done to one another. Tywin sees this in different light. He's like, well, when troops lack discipline, that's because that's the fault of their commander. Uh, yeah. Then, And then Tyrion, Tyrion thinks that, um, you know, he thinks about himself as a commander, and he thinks he falls short of Jaime, that Jaime can... can can I guess inspire people to to die for him and to rally around him and fight for him and he he thinks he has to use bribes and use his last name to do that. But in this instance it's not a very fair comparison. Because these clansmen aren't from noble houses who owe fealty to the Lannisters. Half of the half the time Tyrion's not even sure whether he's their leader or their captive. So it's, yeah. it's a rather apples to oranges comparison yeah. here. The other thing that I think is interesting about Tyrion is that he does not waste much of his life comparing himself to Jaime, apart from when he's around Tywin. Right. And then yeah. when he's around Tywin, he often, even without Tywin saying it, Tyrion brings up the comparison with Jaime. Yeah. Tywin does bring it up at the beginning of this chapter here in this scene when uh, Tywin starts to tell Tyrion about everything that's going on with the upcoming battle. And he says, please, Father, not right now. I'm about to eat. And Tywin says, what, does does the thought of fighting uh, Rob Stark oh. unman you so? Oh, Your brother Jamie right. wouldn't feel that way. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, right, you're it's, right, though. It, Whenever Tywin's around is when he negatively yeah. compares himself to his brother. So, so Tyrion assumes he's getting command of the vanguard. Um, but I think you make the point, was he really expecting that? I mean, there are battle-hardened uh, soldiers out here, and then there's drunken, debauched Tyrion. Right. His first, I believe it's his first battle ever, and we know his father is not a very big fan of him. Does he really think that he's going to have him leading his vanguard? Uh, Plus, I mean, this maybe should be safe for Pentry, but, but a question here. Isn't the vanguard typically the front center of the army. I thought so, yes. Uh, I was confused how the vanguard could have been the left flank right. as well. I, I mean, I the guess front I'd have row to of see the left the flank. Yeah, the front row of the left flank, yeah, sure, you're the front of that. But the vanguard must be front center. I mean, that's the whole point, isn't it? I would have thought so, yes. That, that's yeah. how I understood the term to me. So 
I was a little confused by that as well. Maybe if the listener understands better, let us know. I'd yeah. I'd be interested to hearing how the left flank can be the vanguard here. So after after storming off from his father um, and then drive, walking past a few other cook fires that keep making him hungry because he can't seem to catch a break on dinner. Right. Um, <laughs> he uh, makes it, finds, after getting lost, he eventually finds his way back to his own tent uh, where um, waiting for him are Bron, uh, a, a servant, and his new squire, Podrick Payne, right. um, and a, a young prostitute whose name is Shay. Uh, who Bronn has acquired for uh, for Tyrion. Right. Um, I don't know about you, I have an instant liking for Shay. She's, yeah, she's a, she's she's, a firecracker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's sassy. She she manages to avoid looking revolted at uh, Tyrion's appearance. And Tyrion thanks Bronn for that in his head. He thinks that um, his former compatriots would find him prostitutes who... He, they never warned the prostitute what Tyrion was going to look like, and so sometimes he would see the sort of look of like surprise and dismay on their faces. Yeah, Shade never showed that, and Tyrion thinks Bronn was smart enough to tell her. Yeah, I, I found it odd that he asked her if she was a maiden. He'd have yeah. to know she isn't, and they have a little a little uh, back and forth between them when they first meet. When he says, "My name is Tyrion," men call me the Imp. And she says, my name is Shay. Men call me often. <laughs> and he thinks to himself, you and I are going to get along pretty well. <laughs> so I yeah. just thought that odd that he would ask her that because that would be highly unlikely. So, but then another yes. thing. So, yes. Anyway. Given that she's a prostitute taken from another night, unless he was like, you know, really saving her up for a special occasion. Right. <laughs> it's clear she wasn't. Yeah, but another so after they they come to their agreement about you know whether I keep you for keep you around for a day or keep you around for a year, you're not to take another man in your bed while you're under my employ. Basically, um, you know then then they do what they're there to do, and afterward he whistles a song, and um, she asks what it is, and he says that's a a song I learned as a boy and. I don't know what the song was, but I have a hunch it was probably Seasons of My Love, the song that his wife taught him as a boy. I think he was a teenager at the time. Remember that when we get to the TV show. Okay. I will try to remember that. Yeah. We do this often. We say, we do. remember <laughs> to bring this out later. And then we get to later and we're like, remember that thing we were going to mention? <laughs> In case we forget when I get to the TV show... Um, the TV show has been holding back something we've already known in the book. In the book, we already know about uh, Tyrion's wife. Right. And we know the backstory to it, right? We know everything yeah. about that. That that it was that Jane, he rescued a girl, fell in love with her, married her, drunken Septon, sobered up, told Tywin. Tywin had her raped multiple times and paid tons of silver for all the people who raped her. That scene is here in the TV show. Oh. That scene is right now with okay. Shay as a participant. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. 
With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. So instead of telling Braun when they were back in the mountains of the moon... He's telling Braun and Shay. He's telling oh, Braun okay. and Shay. he's telling both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He tells them, and uh, Shay says an interesting thing. Shay says, you should have known she was a prostitute. And Tyrion's like, how? He said, two hours after almost being raped, she wouldn't jump into bed with you. Oh, well done, so, Shay. Yes, yeah. yes, that makes a lot of sense. Which, which perhaps then... What you're saying, that he was thinking about Tyre, that that perhaps is a tie-in, you know, that yeah. although the two scenes are different book to TV show, but they have that common thread, you know. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I did not uh, recall this. So so we, we briefly meet Podrick Payne, who's his new squire, assigned by his father. Um, you'll recognize the last name Payne. Um, Ilan Payne is the king's executioner. Um, if you remember, he's got no tongue and he terrifies Sansa. Right. Um, Podrick is Ilan's first cousin once removed. Podrick's father is Ilan's cousin. Yes, so right. I did my homework, but that's the first cousin once removed. <laughs> it's good that you explained it, because <laughs> otherwise... <laughs> but, but funnily enough... Podrick almost never says anything, which has led Tyrion to think that he too might be tongueless to the point where he's actually had him stick his tongue out to prove that he has one. So <laughs> Podrick is just quiet, not actually uh, yeah. detongued. We, we don't really get to meet him much yet in this chapter, but he seems like a nice kid. He, uh... Yeah, yeah. And, and the Paynes are Lannister loyalists, and uh, they don't seem particularly ambitious. I mean, it's hard right. to know, really. No, <laughs> Illy doesn't talk about his ambitions much. <laughs> he keeps his ambitions to himself. Exactly. Of course, of course, Tyrion thinks that he's been given Podrick by his father to be a squire as a joke on him. Why so? He doesn't really say. He just, I, I think just because why would Tyrion need a squire? He's not a knight. You know, and um, so is that the, is that the point of a squire to help you with armor and things like that? I guess but so. Probably learn li- from the knight. You know, like, he literally needs one, right? In this, yeah, it, he does. Yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe because he's so quiet and shy, he thought I'm going to give him the Tyrion and the pains are a minor house kind of thing. So it's maybe, kind of like yeah. A, yeah. He doesn't really explain why he thinks it's a joke. He just fig- he just has a hunch that it is a joke, yeah. and and that's a that's also a good point that. There's something in it for the squire. If the squire gets the squire to a serious, famous knight, it reflects well on them, you know. Yeah, right, right, for, right. For Bodrick, it's a dead end job, you know. <laughs> <laughs> squire into this idiot. It's entry level squiring here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so the next morning, they oversleep. The battle is upon them. Um, before they before they rouse. Um, Tyrion kicks Pod to wake him up because that's one of the problems. His squire is still sleeping as the battle begins. Uh, Pod and Shay help Tyrion into his armor, um, and Tyrion, in a kind of a touching moment, tells Pod to get Shay safely away if the battle goes the wrong way. So yeah, you know, Tyrion's caring side. Just sure. mention yeah. that. 
So as he rides out to battle, he he needs help, um, you know, getting his mismatched armor on and stuff, and then he needs help getting onto his horse, and then he rides off to to you know join the rest of the the soldiers lining up for war. And he thinks back to the last time he saw Rob Stark in Winterfell, and he he's reminded of Rob Stark uh, in his great his father's uh, great chair and a naked steel in hand. And if you recall, just in case you don't recall, quick reminder, when Tyrion was making his way south from the Wall, he stopped at Winterfell, and Robb Stark greeted him in the Great Hall with an unsheathed sword, which is a very aggressive move, even to the point where Bran, coming in and seeing it, realizes, oh boy, that means something when you greet someone in your own uh, castle with an unsheathed unsheathed sword and he even at one point Rob even stood and pointed the blade at Tyrion's face but then of course after Tyrion gave Bran uh, after Tyrion gave Bran the uh, saddle diagram Rob became a lot more hospitable but Tyrion was still offended by the whole thing and decided to stay somewhere else other than Winterfell yeah yeah and that's made me think about something actually I wonder when Tyrion bumped into Catelyn, it, yes, the thing is, when Tyrion bumped into Catelyn at the Inn at the Crossroads, she was now in possession of a piece of information that she wasn't in possession of when she left Winterfell, which was that the knife was Tyrion's. Right. Right. So, although the reaction... The, the, I, I was just thinking that maybe he should have been more wary of bumping into Catelyn, but he didn't Rob's reaction was based on different things than Catelyn's reaction and so yeah. her reaction Rob's was reaction extreme. was based on the fact that his mom told them her theory that the Lannisters had something to do with Rob being pushed right. uh, not Rob with Bran being pushed out the uh over, off the tower anyway yeah 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 gotcha so um i do have a, a i got a little piece of pedantry that i didn't want to bring up in pedantry cuz i didn't want to just like uh jump all over this chapter but there was something that i didn't quite didn't quite make a whole lot of sense to me here so the battle unfolds then and you know there's chaos reigning and Tyrion is fighting this person and that person and you know by my count he kills three people and uh but then he eventually gets knocked off his horse by a knight wielding a a morning star and the knight keeps saying you know telling him to yield as his captive and um, I'm wondering why he's doing that at the moment because Tyrion, after Tyrion ends up killing the guy's horse and pinning him underneath, and, and the knight ends up yielding, Tyrion looks around and realizes the battle has is moved past them. It's you know the the Western army is pushing the Northern army back, and there's nothing around him but dead bodies. And I was thinking, if he was he's this knight is out here all by himself, like he's going to have to get back past the Western army's front lines in order to get to his side of the battle. It, what's he doing here trying to take Tyrion captive? How's he then going to get this captive back across the battle lines? Well, actually, funnily enough, as you described it, I actually came to a different conclusion. When I read it, I was like, this is crazy. The battle is going on all around you and you're giving this guy three chances to yield. <laughs> right. You, you're holding still on a battlefield talking to a guy, basically. You know? Right. It's dangerous as hell. You've got to, 
he gets one chance to yield. If he doesn't take it, you cave his skull in and you move on to the next one, yeah? Right, yeah. But but if the battle has gone by them, then it, then it's a little bit quieter. They've got this opportunity. And maybe this guy has looked around and gone, I need a ticket back across the lines. Right. So just he's asking a, him to yield. Like a jerk to his next, neck or yeah, something while you're riding. Just, just for 10 minutes, you're going to be my captive and then I'll hand you back, yeah? Because I just need to go back to my friend's side. <laughs> I had not thought about that. It's his ticket yeah. It's his ticket home, basically. Right. I had not thought about that uh, possibility. <laughs> yeah. And you notice the guy, he yields on one yield. Right. He's not like yeah. Tyrion. He's, you know, he's like, yeah, I'll yield. Please don't kill me. Yeah, so the, the, there's lots of things happening in the battle. I mean, I think you'll just have to read it if you want to enjoy that kind of thing. Um, so, but we say goodbye to several characters. Um, yeah. From the clans, we lost Con of the Stone Crows, who uh, we met on the high road with Shagger and Gunthor. Yeah, when the Stone Crows surrounded Tyrion and Bronn, and we got our first introduction to the clansmen, Con was one of the named characters in that. Uh, group of stone crows there and he was also one of the guys that came with Tyrion to meet his father tywin yeah um ulf of the moon brothers was also killed in the battle um he was also part of the party who met tywin he was the one who went back up into the hills to gather more clansmen right short term not not just the ones for. yeah he was yeah. just getting the ones that were left back while they went to talk yeah. to tywin yes yeah. But but the other clansmen we know, Shaga, Timit, and Chella, they all survived. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook, or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Right. Yep. On the northern side, uh, poor um, Hollis Hornwood, as Bran referred to him in the uh, in the last Bran chapter, the jovial Hollis Hornwood. Um, he was the lord that kept. Oh, there you go. Simon's got the Hornwood socks. Hornwood socks for today. Yes, <laughs> to say goodbye to Sir Hollis. Yes, Sir Hollis Hornwood did not survive this battle. He was the one that kept giving Rob gifts for uh, nothing in return except for a hoardfast taken from his grandfather and hunting lands and leave to damn the white <laughs> knife, etc. <laughs> Unfortunately, he did not survive this battle. But we also had some hostages, a Medgar Sirwin. He's the lord who brought his daughter to Winterfell with him to try and entice Rob. Right. Um, Willis Manderley, who is the oldest son of Wyman. He's uh, one of the uh, Manderley brothers that accompanied Cat from White Harbor to Moat Kalen. Chunky guy. Yes, yes. Yes, I remember. <laughs> he likes his uh, his eels, uh, I think. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Lamprey pie, is that what that's called? Lamprey pie? Lamprey pie, yes. Uh, and Harrion Karstark, he's the oldest son of Rickard Karstark. He was one of the three Karstark sons that came with Rickard when they were the big group that was showing up at Winterfell at the very beginning of the last brand chapter. Yeah. He was not the one of the two brothers who were saying awful things about Bran at the feast. They were talking about how he must be a coward because he hasn't killed himself and terrible stuff like that. Yes. Well, I wish it was one of the others then. That's right. And there's also four Freys, but we don't know who yet who any of those Freys. They weren't named, so. Yeah. 
So, so a little bit about the battle tactics. So, so first of all, sort of like on the grand scale of the battle, I'm yeah. really not sure that the North played this very well. No, um, I agree. What was the hope here? The hope here was to draw Tywin north along right. the King's Road so that he would no longer be able to cross the river. You don't even have to fight him. You've succeeded. Yep. That seems like your goal. Your goal is to distract him from the real fight going on on the west bank of the Green Fork. That's yep. not what happened. Yep, you've split you you've split your army and sent a force that you know is not big enough to deal with that into battle. Don't have right. the battle. <laughs> I mean, like find some way to avoid the battle. I mean, march south until you see the whites of their eyes and then turn around and run back. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> if if the Freys are loyal, you can run all the way back to the twins and hold up in their castle and you'll be fine. Yeah, and another thing is that they're almost exclusively infantrymen because right, yep. almost the entire uh, cavalry crossed to the west side. So you Absolutely. are an infantry army fighting an army that has both infantry and cavalry. So you're already at a disadvantage despite yep. the fact that you're heavily outnumbered. So. Yeah. I, I mean, of course, it would have been great to win, but you, you, the, were, the odds were always stacked against you. And so I think you'd have been much better served Going up to them, having a skirmish of some sort, backing off half a mile. Yeah. And keep doing that. Make them pay the price for coming north. And then eventually just run away. Because there's nothing to be gained from this. You've succeeded. You have put that army in a place where it does not need or want to be. Right. Yeah, you're right. And Tyrion even wonders. Because what what happened was, according to Bronn, the northern army stole a march on them and snuck up on them in the night and Tyrion thinks what were they thinking did they think they were going to catch us sleeping that was highly unlikely and it is highly they, unlikely. they did they did literally catch Tyrion sleeping but not <laughs> right. the army as a whole and pod <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so maybe Roose Bolton was thinking if we can catch them sleeping we can take them and I can be the hero of the day you know like that's the only thing that would make sense why else would they because like like Tyrion says in this chapter they've got to be exhausted they just marched through the night and now they're going to try and fight after having uh, you know used up all their strength marching in the middle of the night so there's a lot that doesn't really add up unless he really thought unless Roose Bolton really thought we can sneak up on these guys and attack them while they're sleeping to me the fact that he's escaped shows to me that Roose Bolton always suspected that this was not going to go his way. He right. was hanging around at the back, ready to get out of there. So <laughs> it feels like it feels like tactically this was just a horrible mess. I mean, what you wanted to do was keep this Tywin's army bogged down in a pointless guerrilla war along this road yes. that gained them nothing and wore down their resources. You know, yeah. that would have been perfect. And you had the resources to do that. Yeah, and you and I and had talked about that's the way to go in previous chapters. Yeah, and the last thing you wanted to do, the thing that really gets me, is you, you sneak up on them until you alert them, and then you dig in a mile away. So <laughs> right. now you're exhausted, and you've gained nothing from it. Right, yeah. If you sneak up on them, get into their camp and set fire to their their tents, and free their horses, and... Yeah, kick sand in their eyes. You know, <laughs> there you do <laughs> that. <laughs> don't 
don't arrive tired and set up for a regular battle against a much bigger force than you. Yeah, this feels like uh, they weren't thinking this one all the way through. Plus now... To be fair to Roose Bolton, I don't think it's Roose Bolton. I think it's uh, George Martin. Oh, could be. Could I'm be. not blaming Roose Bolton for this. I'm blaming the author. <laughs> but now they've alerted Tywin to what's going on. So now he can just turn... I mean, he's he's a long way away, but he's he'd be further away if they kept dragging it out. Now he can turn around and go try and aid Jamie. Or, or if the battle's already happened, then, you know pile on to uh, a second battle with uh, Rob's even more outnumbered part of the army because the the larger part of the northern army is here which is still not big enough to fight this western army yeah absolutely absolutely so um so yeah to, to the specific actual battle I don't like the north northern tactics I think they're just foolish um, but I do like Tywin's idea. Set up one flank to be much softer than the other. I mean, the description of the right flank is that it's the knights, it's the armoured, you know, heavily yeah. armoured, on horse, just looks impregnable. The I actually have a strong. breakdown. I have a breakdown of the army oh. split if you want to hear it real quick. Oh, yeah, you do. Sorry, I see that now. The, um, so the centre is led by Kevin Lannister. It's got 10,000 men. 300 heavy horse and a mix of infantry, pikes, archers, swords, spears. It also has um, Lord Lefford, uh, Lydon, and Serret. The right, which is led by Adam Marbrand, has 4,000 knights, including Sir Flemont Brax, who we quickly met in the previous Tyrion chapter. He's the guy with the uh, unicorn sigil. And uh, members of House Krakal and Swift. And then in the left, the van, which they keep calling the vanguard, we've got, led by Gregor Clegane, we've got a thousand men fully mounted. However, they're mostly free riders and sellswords and small folk, and then Tyrion and his clansmen. And in the back, we've got Tywin leading the reserve, which is 5,000 strong, half mounted, half foot, and Tyrion at one point sees about 500 knights in his uh, father's uh, reserve, so... Yeah, That's, and uh, I think what Bron describes the, the the foot soldiers of the left flank as crow food, right, or something. Yeah, like the that. whole food group. Yeah, no, yeah, he yeah. refers to the whole left flank as crow food because he's they're both looking around and it's just a bunch of small folk and with like so, their father's size and stuff like that. <laughs> but but the idea is that that as the north advances, they'll make gains on their right, the Lannisters' left push back there and then sort of like swoop into that you know that area that they've created but by doing so they've pinned themselves between the brunt of the army and the river right. and then Tywin's idea is he's going to come around from behind and block them off so then they'll basically the whole of the northern army will be sort of uh, just pinned against the river and picked yeah. off they'll have them surrounded with the river at their back yeah uh, to me that seems like pretty good strategic planning um, does fall down on one thing, which is that the not the the clansmen hold. They are you yeah. know, between Gregor Clegane and the clansmen. They actually hold the left flank, and it never happens. Right. Yeah. I wondered. You know, like these these clansmen had never, to my knowledge, fought this type of battle before. You you know, they basically just do skirmishes and attack uh, like raiding parties that attack uh, people on the high road. So. 
I wonder how well they would handle a traditional um, battle such as this. If they they would get out of formation and end up all over the place, and I think yeah, it's a good point. And I think I think they have a sort of savagery going for them, which will stand them right. in good stead. But but I think in some ways it took Gregor Clegane because Gregor Clegane is a sort of difference maker. Like I think there's a scene where the 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 Northern Army's right flank is arrayed against them in a shield wall yeah. and he just breaks through it just breaks through it single-handedly yes. and smashes it to smithereens and then it's melee fighting and there i like the clansmen's chances you know they're yeah they're hardened fighters who've just been given be- better weapons than they've ever had before right they'll be they'll be okay in that situation but you're yeah. absolutely right two two shield walls approaching one another you favor the professional soldiers right so then the question we don't what we don't know is how much of the northern army actually gets away. I mean we're we're not 100% sure how much of the northern army came down here and we're not yeah. sure how much of the northern army escaped this battle. Um, right. We could take a guess that it's at least 10,000 men in the northern army because Cat says the majority of the northern army stayed on the east bank. So they had right. 20,000, so, there's at least 10,001 at least 10,000 that yeah. stayed on the uh yeah. east bank. Yeah. And they lost. And you can't lose without losing a few men. Right. And they did. Yes, they certainly <laughs> right. lost a few men. And and by the list of um, captives, it was a pretty serious list of captives. Yes. So it feels like it was fairly bad. I mean, you'd think, I'm thinking at least 50% casualty here, maybe more like 75%. Seems like it, yeah. And, and they seem to roll on Rob pretty quick with the information. Like, they immediately know... That that Rob wasn't with them, that he was riding down the left bank, riding hard for uh, River Run and Jamie's army. So someone, someone spilled the beans pretty fast there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's not a complete route, though, because at least Bruce Bolton escaped, and presumably yes. with some men. So, so hopefully a couple of thousand at least got out of here so that it's not completely destroyed. And again, if, if 9,500 had escaped, Tywin's army would have kept pursuing them you know right but yeah if it's just a couple of thousand just let him go you know especially now that he knows jamie's army could be getting uh you know surprised with a uh the surprise attack from the northern army coming down the west bank yeah yeah so yes because from the captives they learned that the northern cavalry crossed at the twins and is headed to river run to fight jamie yeah uh, but i have an idea here that Nobody in the army that was coming down the King's Road, the Northern Army that was coming down the King's Road, should have known this plan. Right. It's not that hard to keep this a secret. All you do is you array the the forces pointing down the King's Road and you say, onwards! And you all stop marching. <laughs> right. And then the back 10,000 just don't go. <laughs> <laughs> the last row is looking around like, wait and a second, where'd the, those the guys go? Row, the last row. And, and the guys in the front row of the, of the, of the 10,000 that don't move just go, shh. <laughs> <laughs> and that way, nobody, only Roose Bolton needed to know that this right. was going on. Everybody else could have kept them and they would, just wouldn't have known. They were like, where was the rest of your army? They're like, you know what? We were asking ourselves that. <laughs> like, it looked like we had way more. Like, probably like around the twins, maybe. We started to seem to lose a few. I don't know. I really do don't you, know. Do you remember Tommy? Where the heck did Tommy go? <laughs> there seemed to be like a lot of horses, too. I don't know what happened to them, you know. 
Fantastic but no, idea. <laughs> apparently everyone knew and everybody spilled the beans as soon as they got there. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So it feels like by doing it that way, you've you've basically you've got the look on Tywin's face, which must have been a picture. Right. But the strategic advantage of him thinking that he destroyed the entire Northern Army might have been even better, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. Let him think he's like, Woo, look at me. One battle yeah. and I destroyed them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is weird that Rob Stark wasn't here, but you know, let's not worry. <laughs> but yeah, so Tywin's he he really did plan he really did put his son in the like heart of the danger that he expected to collapse, you know, like right, yeah, y- you know, yeah, you you uh, couldn't put anyone in that flank with your current with your battle plan and expect them to survive, right? Especially an un, I mean, Tyrion's not been well trained in fighting. I don't think he's ever been in the battle before, right? And uh, yeah. you know, that's um, that's pretty callous. I wondered why he couldn't. I know he's not a big fan of Tyrion. It's pretty clear, but why not just keep Tyrion with him and? kind of let him be his squire sort of like let him see the decisions you're making how you're commanding and he he knows it i think he i think he respects Tyrion's intellect so maybe Tyrion would make a good battle strategist if he you know if he got to learn from his dad in this situation yeah i i I do think it does it does bear mentioning that a couple of times he did give him an out he did say that you could be you know in charge of picking up the bodies things yeah, like that. I mean, right. they were insults, but they were genuine offers, I think. You know, he didn't have to say, sure, I'll fight in the Vanguard, you know? Yeah, you're, he did, you're right, he did make offers, and they were done as insults. So I think They were done as insults. That's why Tyrion yeah. wasn't taking them. Yeah. But, um, it does seem, I mean, like, it does seem like an attempt at filicide here, no doubt about it, but it does seem odd to do it this way. I mean, right. first of all, he's 30 years old. You've let him live this long. Right. If you really want him dead, why now? And he has shown some promise. I mean, you know, he sorted out the sewers in uh, Casterly Rock, right? Right, yeah, yeah, he did. Was it Casterly Rock where he sorted out the sewers, or was it King's Landing? No, I think it was Casterly Rock. Casterly Rock, yeah. Um, And he's more fun to be around than Jamie and Cersei. <laughs> right. You he's know? got a better sense of humor than both of them by a mile. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's what you should say. Well, I've got a better sense of humor, Dad. Right. We all he have our taller. own strengths, Dad. Yeah. All right. So that's about it. Let's, let's get to background. Tell me about okay. House Marbrand. So we meet Adam Marbrand in this chapter. We've heard about him a few times. Um, last Tyrion chapter, a messenger came at the end of the chapter with a message from Adam Marbrand for Tywin Lannister. Adam's been kind of leading their scouting of the... Uh, Northern armies advances south. Uh, so we meet him in this chapter. He's the one that comes and gives Tywin the update and says, you know, we, we took all these captives. And then Tywin says, and what about Rob Stark? And he's like, well, you see, the thing is this. He wasn't actually here. So that's um, Adam Marbrand who, who provides that information. And Adam Marbrand is from House Marbrand, and it's one of the primary noble houses of the Westerlands. Their seat of Ashmark is located in the hilly area near where the Tumblestone begins. And the Tumblestone is the river that runs into the Red Fork, the southernmost okay. uh, yeah. part, uh, river of the Trident. 
And their yeah. current lord is Damon Marbrand, who's the father of Adam. Their blazon is an orangish burning tree on a gray background, and their motto does not appear in the books, but according to some semi-canon sources, it's burning bright. So, Whenever we make stuff up, we call it semi-canon sources. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, House Marbrand dates back to the coming of the Andals and was begun by the union of First Men and Andal Nobles. And some uh, notable Marbrands throughout Westerosi history are uh, Sir Laurent Marbrand was a member of the King's Guard during the reign of Viserys I Targaryen and a participant in the tourney at Ashford Meadows, which is the tournament in uh, the Duncan Egg series, the first tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a participant at that tourney fought under the Marbrand banner during the reign of Darren II Targaryen. Uh, Jane Marbrand, the daughter of Lord Alan Marbrand, wed Titus Lannister of Casterly Rock in 235 AC, and Titus is Tywin's father. And according, again, to semi-canon sources, in other words, or making this up as we go along, <laughs> uh, the Marbrands supported Lord Titus's son, who would be Tywin, uh, when the young knight suppressed the Rain Tarbeck Rebellion, which is, again, something I've mentioned before, but we're going to let the books fill you in on that. So, so is Jane Marbrand Tywin's mother? He is Tywin's you, you, mother. Okay, yeah, because you, you said she was married to his father, but you didn't actually say it yes. was his mother. Okay. I probably should have led with that, yes. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Which I guess um, makes Adam Marbrand related to uh, yeah, them. Yeah, and... I guess so. I don't know how Jane relates, but yeah, right, they're yeah. definitely related. Okay, so comparison with the television show. Thank you for the background, Miguel. You always work so hard on that. Ah, thank um, you. Comparison with the television show. Um, Tyrion does have the scene with his father, and it goes similarly. You know, he's he's offered uh, the non-vanguard insults, and but sort of like sort of puffs off his feathers and say, "No, we'll go in the vanguard. I'm not afraid," and storms off in the same way he does. He comes back to meet Shay, who is played by the rather ravishing Sybil Kekili, who okay. is, uh, she's German. I don't know if you remember Shay's accent. She has a slight accent. She's German, but of Turkish origin. Okay. So um, she's, she looks very exotic. And, uh, yeah. and so she's, in the book, he asks her where she's from, and she says that she's foreign. So, um, ah. but that's not, Shay is not foreign in the, in the book. Sorry, I said in the book, but I meant in the TV show. So that was an added question, like, where are you from? And she right. just says, I'm foreign. Okay. Uh, we don't meet Podrick Payne at this point. Podrick will appear in the TV show, but he has not appeared yet. All right. So all of the scene here before the battle is just Bronn, Shay, and Tyrion. Okay, yeah. So Shay and Tyrion have some time together. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and much of their conversation is as in the book. But then instead of the scene where Tyrion goes out to pee, and talks to Bronn again. Next, we see the three of them back in the tent, having a sort of drink and a laugh with each other. Oh, all right. Yeah. They play. They play a game where Tyrion um, gets them to make. Uh, Tyrion makes a statement, and if it's true, the recipient of the statement has to take a drink. If it's false, Tyrion has to take a drink. All right. Yep. So he says to Bronn. Your father beat you, and Bronn drinks. And he okay. says, uh, and you killed your first man before you were 12. And Bronn points at Tyrion and says, it was a woman. Oh! So, <laughs> so it's kind of like, never so, have I ever. Exactly. So that that kind of thing. And um, 
But Shay refuses to play point blank. She and she's quite surety about it, and eventually Tyrion starts to p- pitch ideas to her, and she denies all of them. He's like, "You're not allowed to lie," and she. So he, it's about her parentage and things like that, and right, uh, like one of them is your mother was a whore, and she's like, "You have to drink," you know, this kind of thing. Okay. So so it's kind of like creating an air of mystery around her. We yeah, don't quite I like know that. who she is, but That's it was a nice cool. scene. Yeah, but the scene ends with, I think at some point Bronn says, "Oh." Did you know that Tyrion was married? And Shay was like, "What? Tyrion was married?" <laughs> and so that's the point at which we get the story of. Oh, Tyrion's okay. So, so it so. must have been told like we had heard it, but not on camera. <laughs> they actually explained that. Bronn says, "You play dice with Lannister men. You hear the stories." You know? Oh, I see. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they've got an answer for everything. Exactly. So, um, so then. What happens after they wake up in the morning? They wake up in the morning, similar kind of thing. They're, they're late for the battle. Tyrion, still in the camp, Tyrion finds the um, the clansmen and gives a rousing speech. And they all go, half man, half man. And they right. run off. And in their running off to battle, they accidentally whack him in the head and knock him <laughs> unconscious and trample him into the dirt. So Tyrion misses the entire battle, lying face down unconscious in the dirt. That's one way to get so, out of an expensive uh, scene. <laughs> exactly. That's that's what they were doing for sure. But it's quite, it's, it's quite nicely done because what happens then is Bronn sort of finds him after the battle and sort of drags him on a stretcher to his father. Uh-huh. And then he's, he says, uh, Tyrion says, we won. And uh, Tywin doesn't look very happy. And he says, there were only 2,000 men here, not the 20,000 our spies had told us about. Oh. Tyrion says, where, where was Rob Stark? And Tywin says, presumably with his other 18,000 men. Okay, wow. So they don't know, they haven't got the intel from the blabbermouthed northern prisoners. <laughs> right. But, but, the, but their own intel shows that something's wrong, that a trick has been pulled on them. They yeah. didn't need the prisoners to tell them that. So, oh. And actually, I like those numbers a lot better. I think that makes TV a lot more sense. Numbers, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You've sacrificed a tenth of your army. Right. Here they've Not sacrificed half, more than half. At least a half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Those are pretty fun uh, differences. I like that. Yeah. Now, yeah. I have a question for you about the show. Tyrion says in this chapter that it's been a year since he last laid with a woman before they left for Winterfell. That is quite different than the show portrays him, correct? Yes. I mean, there's a... I, I could name the prostitutes and uh, there are some farm animals. I mean, no, <laughs> He... Uh, yeah, he definitely, we definitely see him with prostitutes in Winterfell. Okay. Uh, but that's the only time, I think. I don't think we've seen him any other time. Well, he went from Winterfell to the to Castle Black, so he wasn't going to have a lot of luck there. <laughs> that, you would pass through Molestown. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Right next door to the Simon and McKelly uh, Black Cloak, <laughs> no, Grey Cloak Emporium. Right. <laughs> which upstairs is the Simon and McKelly uh, Therapist Couch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you will find the Molestown uh, uh, brothel. Yeah. So, um, Pedantry Corner, you've got one. I do. And this kept bugging me. I, I probably spent more time thinking about this than I did the rest of the. Uh, chapter combined and that's despite listening to a 51 minute chapter three seriously i just kept listening to these parts during the chapter so Tyrion is quite deft at uh handling his 
horse in this chapter. He's riding down guys left and right and you know, swinging his axe and riding circles around people while he's whacking them with his axe. And I was just from just thinking about back in Brand 4, Tyrion gives Brand designs for that special saddle, like I mentioned earlier, earlier, that will allow Brand to ride again without the use of his legs. And Tyrion says that the saddle isn't too different from his. And now, we don't get any indication here whether he's using this special saddle or not. However, he's a very diminutive person, and he's riding a very large horse. And it, it seems a bit much to expect that, even if he is using a special saddle, that he's pulling off all these very advanced horse riding maneuvers. I often feel that like we're in a court of law here and you're trying to make a case to me and you're sort of pleading with me like I'm like a <laughs> hard juror and you've got a crack. You are 100% correct. Absolutely <laughs> no way. And the thing is, he doesn't even have his saddle, right? No, I, we, there's no mention of his saddle. All they mention is he needs help he, getting into his saddle because of all the he armor. He doesn't have his armor. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he he's not like riding the same horse he set off from winter to, from. King no, Landing. remember that horse he, was killed on the high road. That that saddle is gone. He does not have his saddle. In fact, Tyrion is so good that he apparently changes horses in the middle of the fight, and nobody knows about it. Let me explain what I mean by that. This is this this is now next level pedantry. Go, sir. Go. Evidence one A, please. Uh, so, after he gets all his armor on, he needs help getting into the saddle. He says, by then his groom had brought up his mount, a formidable brown courser, armor, armored as heavily as he was. He needed help to mount it. He felt as though he weighed a thousand stone. Okay. Then before the battle, that, it says that, that's fourteen pounds. By the way, how much? <laughs> 14 pounds All right. each stone is 14 pounds I'm not going to do the multiplication we know how that goes <laughs> later before the battle starts the description is Tyrion turned his courser in a circle to look over the field okay still on his courser still on his courser however when he gets into the fight with the tall man and he's um he's it says, he turned in a circle as Tyrion rode around him, hacking at his head with his shoulders. And the guy keeps saying, die, dwarf, die. And then the line is, the tall man grinned until Tyrion's destrier bit, quick as a snake, laying his cheek bare to the bone. So somehow he changed from a courser to a destrier in the middle okay. of the fight. Okay, this one sounds solid too. Is there any difference between those two things? Yes. They're both words I'm not terribly familiar with. They I are believe types of a courser is not as big as a destrier. They're two different types of horses. <laughs> I I bow to you, sir, for today's pedantry. That is exceptional. Now, yeah. I, you know, maybe I I don't I've only ridden one horse, Petey, and I tell you I could not control Petey in a battle. Tyrion's yeah. probably a better rider than me, but. Perhaps his courser was Petey and he jumped onto the nearest destroyer to get away from Petey because he too. <laughs> um, so my only pedantry is sort of like the general one about marching through the night to catch them unprepared and then drawing up battle lines in front of them. I mean, you've achieved nothing. It just seems crazy to me. Yes, I agree. And I think that should have been edited differently because it's just not right. It just makes no sense. Yeah, that even Tyrion wonders, what in the world are they doing here? 
Maybe we'll find out. Maybe he had a reason. Maybe Bruce Bolton had a reason for doing it this way. It certainly doesn't make sense right now, though. Did we get mail? We did get mail. We got such a nice, not nice, that's not even a good enough word. Such a great email from a a listener named Steve. Yeah, Steve. Hi, Steve. Hi, Steve. Thank you very much. Uh, He found us recently when Amazon Music started offering podcasts, and he said he flew through the through 50 plus episodes in a matter of a couple weeks he said he likes our banter so um Yay. <laughs> and he he very much liked simon's dream uh about the maesters which we get that you a lot bo- <laughs> you and me both steve you and me yeah both. I, I told him you know that that's both of one of our favorite things uh that's happened is uh that dream and he also agreed with me about not liking uh meet the parents because everything goes wrong for Ben Stiller's character the whole way through. And he said he recently reviewed us on Apple Podcasts under the nickname Catlin is the Worst. First of all, thank you very much for reviewing us. That's fantastic. That's that's great news. Um, he, he said he came up with the nickname Catlin is the Worst, be, he said, because she is. That she's just an awful, she's just awful and a moron. <laughs> this is according to Steve. So, uh, you know... Uh, and he loves our pedantry as well, and uh, he says some of it is so obvious that it's upsetting that he hadn't thought of it prior. And I said to him, believe me, Steve, if you read through the chapter as many times in a week as we read through the chapter, you would pick up on all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you, Steve. That was really nice to hear from you. Please keep in touch. Yes. So, in conclusion, uh, well, I mean, if you like battles, this was a, this was a fun battle. Um, Tyrion... Tyrion's got a, a little, a little gang growing. You know, he's got Bran, he's got Pod, he's got uh, Shay. I noticed when you were reading out about the course from Destroyer, he also has a groom, right? Which yes. I think is an extra person we hadn't heard of until that point. So he's got a little gang. He does. And uh, she, she, you know, he said he's going to keep Shay around, so uh, I hope he does. That would be yeah. uh, would be interesting. And Tyrion must have gotten some of Jamie's fighting capabilities after all, because. Uh, by my account, he killed three men and took a knight hostage, and he survived in a flank that was meant to be beaten when 150 clansmen died, and he didn't. So I think he should yeah. get some serious props for his... Uh... I, I think so, too. I mean, I think the TV show Tyrion was far more realistic, getting right. knocked out before the battle and <laughs> stretched it off. And he switched horses somehow in the middle of the battle. It didn't miss a beat. <laughs> <laughs> and and rode two giant horses without his saddle. Right. Maybe mid battle he took his saddle off the course and put it on the destroyer. He, he must have, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we uh, we're worried about the northern uh, tactics. You've you've sacrificed a lot of men here for no obvious reason. Yeah, the only you way had to send the men. You had to send the men south. I'll give you that. But you didn't have to throw them to the lions. Right. Literally. Yeah. The only way. His plan works as if he caught the Western army totally by surprise in their sleep, which uh, even Tyrion says was highly unlikely. And I agree with him that that does they had to have had outriders that would have been right. paying attention. Right. But if you come through the night, then you just follow through on that plan, no matter what. Yeah, you just keep coming. You don't line exactly. up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You don't let right, your I opponent have a chance to line I, up. I, I know you're tired, boys, but start digging a trench. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, but good stuff. I mean, I enjoyed it. I always enjoy Tyrion chapters because he's yeah. uh, he's fun. He's clever. He's funny. He's interesting. Yeah. 
everything that Bran's not so far. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Bran. Uh, he's just uh, a little boy. It's not a fair comparison. It isn't. It isn't. All right, as always, you can reach us at ghost.harrenhall at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at ghostharrenhall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you like what we're doing, you would mind going out and leaving us a rate or review on iTunes or anywhere else that you can leave a review. We would greatly appreciate that. It would really help yes, us out. Thank you. All right, well, thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.